Well, this has been a weird weather spring, hasn't it? With uh, all of the um, tornadoes and, and everything that's taken place, especially throughout the south and the southeast, it's just been devastating to see all that, that has happened. And then now uh, we're hitting 100 degree temperatures, or actually at the end of May we were already hitting 100 degrees and we're still, it feels like August out there. And if your yard looks like mine, it's just kind of uh, beginning to get crunchy out there and things are starting to die already. And we're in, in need of, of rain and a change. But one of the things that has really been of note is what has taken place with the Mississippi River. And I think we're on the safer side of that, or at least those down south are not as worried about it as they once were. But as it broke that record, I think of 1937, which was 53 feet, it got up to 58 feet and uh, definitely surpassed uh, what it had done before. And so everyone was worried about the Mississippi River. And uh, you can see in this graphic here, uh, obviously you probably can't measure the difference in what it looked like before uh, all of the water started to come down the Mississippi River. But it was devastating and made quite a change. But as people were farther down south, uh, because of technology and because of developments in a lot of different ways, especially engineering, people are able to make preparations for it. So as the waters were coming uh, from all of the snow and all the rains and everything from up north, people were ready for it. They, they knew it was coming, and they were ready. And they began making preparations, or at least if they were smart, they began to make preparations for how they would deal with all of this, this surge and this flow of water that was coming their way. As we've heard from this text today, actually from both of our texts today that remind us of Pentecost, these were people who understood that there was a flow that was coming. These are people who experienced a surge of God's movement in the world. And they were people who were expecting it. At least quite a few of them were because Jesus talked about this flow of God that was going to come into their lives. As we already looked at, in fact, one of our Easter texts reminded us of how Jesus walked into this room. He walked through the walls to where the disciples were. And He began to... Uh, reveal himself to them to tell you know this is this is me I'm here I'm resurrected from the dead and before he left to go and to uh, appear to other people John tells us that he breathed his spirit into them or breathed the spirit of God into them and they received the spirit and we really recognize this as being the first Pentecost this is when those disciples received the Holy Spirit we pick back up again here in Acts as we see the outpouring of God's Spirit upon the people. And it is a bit odd, isn't it? As we read this text, we, we can think about what that would have been like to be there. But this is how they dealt with it. It really comes down to two very simple things in that they received God's Spirit and the flow of God into their lives, but they also released it back out to other people. And we see this as we look at the text here this morning in Acts chapter 2. As you look at this passage, and it's a long passage, but as you look at this and see what took place there, this, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. There are some great paintings and images of this. If you just Google Pentecost, you can pull up different ones and different interpretations of it. I was looking at one that was an African painting of Pentecost, and it, it had all of them gathered in the room, and they were uh, all Africans, and, and the, uh, the tongues of fire were coming upon them, and, and you can uh, get the imagery of them speaking in their own languages and speaking in other languages, and this is how they interpreted it into this particular tribe. 
and we can look at it ourselves and see what it, what it must have been like and how we would have experienced it had we been there. And of course, I like the part about, uh, well, it's not even 9 o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know, these people haven't been to Louisiana to know that it is highly possible to still be drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Just down south, not up north. But they received the Spirit. God was pouring out His Spirit. The very Spirit of God. We first get an understanding of the Spirit of God in the beginning in Genesis where it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God being involved in the very creation of the world. And we see the Spirit of God at work usually upon people like David and others. Moses, as as the Spirit of God would come upon them. Here, it is a little bit different. The Spirit of God is coming to dwell within them. They each become tabernacles of God. And as a church, they become a tabernacle of God. The outpouring of God. Now, they're not just passive participants here either. They receive it. And this this word receive is is a key word because Jesus would tell His followers to receive the Spirit. In fact, back in that uh, room where Jesus appeared to them, as He breathed His Spirit upon them, He said, receive the Spirit. And so this was not something forced upon them. It was something that they were invited to participate in, to receive the Spirit of God. Well, as you look back at other references to the Holy Spirit, and we don't have time to get into all of those different references this morning, but you can see the different descriptions and the different roles of the Holy Spirit. And probably the main one, and the one we see here in this text today, is the presence of God. As they received the Spirit of God, they received God's presence with them. Think back to Jesus. As Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, as He began His ministry and launched on out into the wilderness, it is the Spirit of God that came to rest upon Him. It was God's presence with Him as He was going not only out into the desert where He would be tried and He would would go through exhausting times of challenge, but from then on, God would continue to be with Him. And it was just another reminder as He saw the heavens open and this... Uh, Spirit coming in the form of a dove coming to rest upon Him. And so God's presence was coming to be with them. They were a, a, a scared group of people. They were, they'd been run ragged because of all that was taking place with the, the, the crucifixion of Christ and then seeing Him uh, resurrected and, and all of these different appearances and all the things that were going on in, inside of their lives, inside of their city and their, their social dynamics. It, it was just something that... Uh, was exhausting them. And I'm sure they wondered, what is it that we're going to do next? Jesus told us to come here to this place to wait for something to happen. And something did happen. And they felt God's presence. And what a beautiful feeling to feel God's presence. To know that God is with you. And for them to know, it's just like when Jesus was with them. They had that same kind of feeling. He's here. We feel loved. We feel the very presence of God. But also the counsel of God, Uh, that word paraclete, which means one who walks along beside you. That was Jesus' description as he would talk about the advocate or the counselor who would walk along beside them and would help them. Jesus said, I am not going to leave you as orphans. You will have someone with you. You will have the counselor, the Holy Spirit to walk along beside you and to remind you of all the stuff that I've been saying. The Spirit will be there 
to give you the words you need to say, the things you need to think about, and what you need to teach other people. The Spirit will soothe the pains and the hurts in your life and give you encouragement as you go along. But also, another word here is power. We looked at that one last week in Acts 1.8, that the Holy Spirit would give them power to be witnesses. In all these different places, Jesus told them to go. To continue the kingdom work of God in the world would require great amounts of power. And they felt quite powerless in their lives. The Spirit would be with them, but the Spirit needed to be received. There's a, a great app that's out there. I'm sure some of you have this. If not, uh, some of you need this. Uh, pocket therapist. Wouldn't you like to be uh, have some therapy from that guy? I mean, it looks like the uh, Warren. I mean, looks like Oprah, right? You'd, you know, you'd want some therapy there. Uh, but you can get this app, and you know, in, in need of your own personal life coach, need some positive reinforcement to give your life meaning, enhance your life with a doctor's profound professional experience. I mean, if you have this app, and I think it's only what ninety nine cents. If you have this app, you download it. You wherever you go, you have this guy with you. You have all of his advice and all of his life. What is a life coach anyway? I'm going to start calling myself a life coach. <laughs> Because then I can have apps and I can have money. Uh, <laughs> that's a dangerous thought, isn't it? <laughs> but you can have this kind of advice, this counsel, wherever you go. Well, it, it's really probably not that helpful. And uh, probably as you flip over to it, you're not going to find the kind of advice and the kind of counsel and the kind of presence that you need. What you and I truly need is the presence of God. It is the presence of God that has been built and has been put together just for us. And all we have to do is receive it or to download it into our lives so that, that we can experience the presence of God with us wherever it is that we go. And we need that presence, don't we? When was the last time you felt the presence of God? When was the last time you truly experienced it and you, you just knew God was there? God was with me in that room. God was with me in my darkest moment. God was with me when all the things in my life began to fall apart. Maybe it was just a joyous occasion. You were out doing something you loved to do and you just you felt the very presence of God. Well, that is the Holy Spirit. That is God's Spirit alive in you. And we need to feel that presence. Nathaniel Hawthorne described happiness as a butterfly, which when pursued is always just beyond your grasp. I don't think any of y'all go around chasing butterflies, but uh, if you're trying to chase one, it, you know, they have a way of, you know, this little bitty thing, getting away from you. But he says, if you sit down quietly, it may alight upon you. And it's like that with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, is not something forced upon you. It's not something you can go and just grab. But if you sit, and you're open, and you're still, the Spirit of God will come upon you and give you presence. But the Spirit of God will give us counsel as well. We need that kind of counsel right now, don't we? And the loss of someone who is so vital, so, uh, so present in our church, it's difficult. It's going to be extremely difficult for April and, and the kids as they uh, continue on. 
as they get up in the morning, as they think about, well, I'm, I'm going to text Dad or I'm going to text Jay. Um, as we see him here, uh, the, the youth downstairs, Jay was down there. Jay and, and Karen down there every week teaching. But Jay was a constant presence in the life of those kids, and they loved him. Y'all loved him. Counsel. We need counsel. How do, how do we continue on? And we need this in our own lives and other issues as well. I mean, that's why there's such a thing as a, a pocket therapist. We all need therapy. I think Jenny said that one day. Lord knows, living with me, she knows that. <laughs> but we all need counsel. And God has given us a counselor. You don't have to pay for it. God has already provided you with great counsel in the Holy Spirit. So wherever it is that you go, whatever it is that you do, whatever kind of advice that you need in your life, God has built that in inside of you. And there is nowhere that you will go that you won't have that kind of counsel with you. It comes directly from God. It comes through other people. It comes through Scripture. It comes through circumstances. Sometimes it comes with the blowing of the wind as it did on this particular day. Recognizing God is in it and God is with me. But also we need power. We receive the power that God has for our lives. We are much like that ragtag, I mean I'm sorry to say this, but we are much like that ragtag group of disciples. I mean really, all Christians are. We're all ordinary people. But what God has put inside of us makes us extraordinary. In the sense that God wants to do great things. And I don't know why He chose us to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Jesus, as He looked out at the group of the uh, disciples that was in front of Him, as they were arguing with one another, as they were jockeying for, for positions of leadership, and as Peter was just saying all kinds of, of crazy things at different times, I'm sure Jesus looked at them and wondered at times, God... What is it that you're doing? Are you serious? You want to leave all of this with them? But that's, that's the way God designed it. God designed to build His kingdom in this world through you and through me. That is His design. But He didn't design to do it uh, for us to do it by ourselves. Have you seen that uh, TV commercial? I think it came out uh, during the, the Super Bowl about the kid who dresses up like Darth Vader. And he goes out to the car and he's trying to exercise his Darth Vader powers. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he keeps trying, he keeps trying, nothing does it. And you see his dad, I think it's his dad over in the window. And he turns on the car from the distance. And all of a sudden the kid falls back thinking that was him. You know, that he had all this power. We're, we're much like that in the church, aren't we? We have no powers of our own. And we, we go and we try to do things. And we try to get things like a church to start. And we try to do all this stuff and we recognize it is nothing that we can do by ourselves. It is completely the power of God coming into us and through us, empowering us to do the things that God wants to do. And as we look at this neighborhood, we are powerless to bring transformation and to bring change and to help people know that God loves them and that God wants to be involved in everything in their lives. We look at economic issues. Uh, and we talked about that last week as we're getting ready to begin this Christian financial services. And we think, man, that, that's an, it's an impossible task if we do this by ourselves. But it's something that God wants done. And so God has provided the power to be able to do it. And it's going to be exciting to watch it happen. And there's so many other things that we could talk about, but God, God has power for all of it. 
But it's not just in, in receiving what God has done. It is releasing. We receive God's Spirit and all that God pours into us, but we release it. There's so many Christians and so many churches that get the first part right. I mean, they get all the receiving done. They, they love to receive all that God has done and they love to, to rejoice in it and glory in it and all that, but then it just stops. It's much like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea takes in rains and it takes in waters from tributaries and other places, but it has no outlet at all. And it is dead. And you think about a river like the Mississippi River that just flows and flows and spills out and goes wherever it will. You can't control it. It is a river that has been released. And we are to live our lives that way. And this John chapter 7, 37 and 39 is a great description of it. When I looked at the text today, I mean earlier in the, uh, in the week, I promise it wasn't just today. When I looked at it <laughs> earlier, I thought what a great verse for what we're going through as a church as we're beginning a stewardship emphasis and getting ready to vote on our budget. It says, on the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, He cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and let the one who believes in Me drink. As the Scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now He said this about the Spirit, which, believes, uh, which believers in Him were to receive. And there's that word again, receive. For as yet there was no Spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I, I love that phrase, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. What Jesus wanted all of them to understand is that, that when they get lined up with God, when they get in the flow of God, it is not that they are to hold all of that in to themselves. They are to release it and to become rivers of fresh, living God. And we are to do that as well. We are to release. I, I remember reading a story about Kurt Warner, the uh, two-time... NFL MVP, and, and you've probably read about his life or heard about it as well. Uh, this was in, a, in an article that uh, I read recently that reminded me of, uh, of, of just the kind of person he was. And it talks about a tradition, a family tradition that he started called the restaurant game. The night before he heads out for a road game, Kurt and his wife take their seven children out to eat for a family dinner. Now even for Kurt Warner, that's probably not an easy thing to do. Once the Warner family is seated, one of the children will scan the dining area like a quarterback looking for potential receivers. When the Warner child picks a table, Kurt asks the waiter to add the table's dinner tab to his own, all anonymously. At a steakhouse before a September game against the New York Jets, a family of four received a free meal without knowing it came from the NFL star. The idea for the restaurant game came to Warner and his wife after Warner led the St. Louis Rams to a Super Bowl victory uh, back in 2000. It's a natural fit for them. They remember the days before Warner's NFL career when Kurt was working a night shift at a grocery store and they only had food stamps to feed their family. With that in mind, giving is a joyful family tradition for the Warners. He says, we want our kids to grow up knowing that because of football, we are blessed. We never want them to lose sight of what it's really all about. Our circumstances are not the most important thing. It's what we do with our circumstances. Warner's motto for life and ministry is faith and family first. I thought, what, what a great example. What a very simple thing to do. To recognize all that you've been given. But to recognize it's really not yours. 
God has given to you that you could pass on to others and bless them and give them water to drink. And so as a church and as individuals within this church, we need to understand that word release, don't we? I think you understand it like unlike any other church I think I've ever been in. You are such givers in every sense of the word. As we begin this new budget year, as we start in July 1st, of course we think about finances because it requires us as givers to be able to keep this church going. I mean, just to meet in this room and uh, just to be able to uh, turn on the air conditioner in here. And thankfully, it, it's running beautifully in here. And to be able to, uh, to use the kids' space downstairs, to be able to participate and to do things like we did last Sunday night. That was a great party. Unfortunately, the uh, weather didn't work out for us, but it was, a, it was a great party that we put on for the neighborhood. And we were able to make interaction with lots of people right here surrounding the church. To be able to do stuff like that involves us releasing and understanding that all that God has given us is not for us to hold, but to give. And so we give of our finances. You, uh, so many of y'all have filled out pledge cards. I, I don't look at those. I uh, pass those on to Jay. And uh, as we get things regrouped here in terms of, of our finances and a treasure and all that, those will be things that uh, we will continue to collect. And if you have yours today, then please put it in the offering basket. But those, those are pledges that we're making. We're all making. I hope that you've taken time to fill that out and to say, I'm wanting to make a pledge. This is how much I think I'm going to give in the next year. And I want to participate. And I want to release what God has given. And, and there are no small givers. Because God has given to all of us. And so we give. But also we give of our abilities. I mean, you guys did that this past week as you uh, came up here and began to do different things to help prepare uh, the building in which we would be honoring one of our own. And you did that. You did that Sunday night as you came up here and, and uh, did different, I mean, you know, made snow cones. And, and Karen Davis is the best cotton candy maker in the whole world. And um, didn't even get any on her. And, and y'all just did all kinds of stuff. I think about Clay Weeks over here. Clay and Ken Wachter spent hours later, later at night over here getting the sound system ready, transferring stuff over there so that we could be there. I can't do that, but Clay can. And there are things that you can do that God has said, come to church for the Highlands and do. Because you're needed here. Jay Greenleaf was a great example of that. He's a guy who understood what it meant to receive from God. And he had been blessed with much. But he understood it wasn't his to release it. I wish I had time to read all the, the notes that he had given to Sam. And, and I, I'm going to ask the family at some point if I can publish those to, to you or to make, you, make them available to you. They need to be in a book somewhere. But he talks about just hard work. And I didn't even know he worked in a grocery store. Uh, putting, putting groceries in bags and doing all kinds of things like that. He was a hard worker. But he knew to be a hard giver as well. And he gave, not just financially, but he gave with his time and his abilities. Looked out on the calendar this morning. He's down for Meals on Wheels every Thursday, every month, delivering Meals on Wheels. He was a giver. And as was said yesterday, we all need to step up in the same way and continue giving. And so giving not just finances and abilities, but giving your all giving every bit 
of what you have. That's the New Testament standard for giving. We talk about the uh, Old Testament standard of 10%, and it is good. I always say at least give 10% of your time, your energy, your finances, all that together. But the New Testament standard is 100%. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I don't hear any 10%, 20 percent, 50%, I hear 100% there. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, I heard about some uh, medieval churches that uh, had some holes. Uh, they, they found these holes that were punched in them, punched in the ceilings and the roofs of, of churches. And the reason that they did this, and, and, and uh, Kyle, please don't come up here and cut holes in the ceiling. He'd probably get a good idea here and, and come up and do it. But uh, holes that were punched in there to show the openness of God, to, to reflect the idea of Pentecost. And so at Pentecost, what they would do is they would take pigeons and put them down in the holes and they would fly in uh, over the people. Wouldn't that be kind of a weird thing to do? Maybe we should try it. But the, the pigeons would come down, or not the pigeons, but the doves would come in and they would remind the people of the Pentecost of God. Then they would also drop red rose petals through those holes and they would come down upon the people and remind them of the tongues of fire that would come and descend upon the disciples. Reminding them of Pentecost. Now again, I'm not advocating that we cut holes, physical holes in the roof of our church. But why don't we cut some holes in the spiritual aspect of our church and in our community. To say we are making way for the Spirit of God in our church. We have an openness to God so that we could receive and so that we could release. The world looked different on the day of Pentecost. It looked a bit chaotic as the flow of God was coming into their lives and into the world. In our world, our church, it'll look different when we receive and when we release. Let's pray.